0: miracles that He calls signs. And we'll notice that this whole miracle or sign is done on the Sabbath, and we're going to tackle that portion of it next week. And so right now we're going to look specifically at the sign. This is John chapter 5. Please listen as I read the Word of God. After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five-roofed colonnades. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, "'Do you want to be healed?' It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Are you stuck in life's circumstances? Have you, because of that, stopped hoping or trying to change them? You're stuck. And for you, it's it's just easier to live in the circumstance that you're in than to try to change them or to even hope or believe that they can change. Today's text is going to give us a new hope for that, but it's going to show us something even more profound. And in this, this healing, this miracle and Christ's teaching on it is going to dispel or contradict two false things teachings or things that are taught in Christianity. On the one hand, the idea that as human beings, we just need a little help. We just need to be a little bit better. We just need a a hand up. We just need somebody to help us in the pool and we'll be okay. And then on the other hand, the idea that Christians, once a Christian, don't get any better. That we don't have to grow in holiness, that we don't even have to try, that how you are is who you are, and all you are, or will ever be, until Christ returns. We're going to see that. We're going to look at the text in three phrases that Jesus says. If you have a Bible that puts the words of Christ in red, you'll see three phrases, and so that's the outline, so no alliteration for you today, sorry, Taylor. But just three phrases from Christ. Do you want to be made well? It's a question Jesus asks. The second one is, arise, take up your bed, and walk. And then after the healing, Jesus tells him, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So very simply, the outline is the words of Christ in the order that Christ gives them. So first, some geography or archaeology. The text says that Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. There's a festival there. We don't know what festival. Going up to Jerusalem is how you get to Jerusalem. You go up. It's on a hill, and there's mountains. And if you've been to Israel, as I know some of you have, uh, you know how beautiful it is. It says there's a pool by the sheep gate called Bethesda, and we'll look at the word Bethesda after. And there's five porticos or colonnades, or think, porches. And so there's there's this pool of water uh, surrounded by these porches, by the sheep gate. Now, Nehemiah, the Old Testament book, tells us there's this sheep gate. He uses it multiple times. But in our text today, it just simply says the word sheep. And so we don't know if this is actually the sheep gate. It probably is. It's probably where they would bring the sacrifices into Jerusalem. It's probably near the market where the sheep for the sacrifices would be sold. And so you see sort of some pictures there. As we know that Jesus Christ has already been called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's a pool there. And apparently people go there for healing. And the waters would bubble or get stirred up, I think is what it says. And they they would bubble and you may think of like a natural spring. Now, our Bibles, your Bible may have a verse 4, and you see there's no verse 4 in the ESV translation, because there's this verse in there that you may be familiar with that says that people are waiting there for the waters to be stirred up and for an angel to come and, and stir them up, and then the first one in the pool would be healed. The problem is, and commentators and theologians are near unified on this, that's not original to the text. The older manuscripts and the very full manuscripts that we have don't have that in there. But yet, what's neat about this is archaeology has shown all these details to be historically accurate to this area. They found a place where there are pools and five porch-covered colonnades around in Jerusalem around the wall of Jerusalem. And people would go there, probably, for healing. And there's artwork of an angel stirring up the waters. And so... When John tells this, he's not validating how healings would take place. He's simply giving us where and why people are there. Now, we may think, man, those ancient people, how silly. They're going to go in a pool when waters bubble to be healed. But may I remind you that in this country, we have natural springs and hot springs. And while they're not as, you don't really hear that much about them, it was only 50 years ago and for the last uh, couple hundred years before that, that people would go there for therapeutic reasons and medicinal reasons because of the natural minerals that would be bubbling up and, and people would go there for healing, even in this country, even in many of our lifetimes. And so it's not far fetched. The man is there for healing but he doesn't ask for help. He doesn't ask for any help. Maybe he's given up. Maybe he stopped believing it's even possible. Maybe he's a nuisance, because every time the first few years that he would sit there, it says he's been an invalid, a cripple for 38 years. We don't know how long he's been going there, but it says Jesus knew that he was there a very long time. Maybe he stopped asking people to help him. Because nobody would. Then Jesus comes, and he sees the man. And I don't mean that he just sees the man. I mean he sees the man. This man that's probably stepped over, this man that's a, a nuisance, this man that's stopped asking for help, nobody cares about him. Jesus sees him. He cares about him. He notices him. And yet, the man is so depressed. He he doesn't really respond. I mean, if if all he needed was somebody to help him in the pool, here's a man that's taken interest in him. Why don't you think his first response would be, "Sir, will you put me in the pool?" But he doesn't. Jesus asks him a question that is very silly to us. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? And the man kind of complains about his circumstances. Have you ever been beaten down, depressed, dejected, and so resigned to your circumstances that you stop hoping? Because if you don't hope, you can't be let down. If you don't ask, you can't be let down. The word for healed that Jesus uses is, is, is the word for made well. Do you want to be made well? It's also used of, like, non-living objects to make the object whole again. In other words, to fix. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be fixed? Do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? And the man just gives excuses. He doesn't want to hope. Why is that? In one of my favorite movies, it's got to be a top ten. I know, I know we often say our favorite movie, so I don't know. I'll say my, one of my top ten movies, and it shows you how old I am because I didn't realize it's like almost 30 years old now, and it seems that was new, but Shawshank Redemption. And if you know the movie Shawshank Redemption, it's a prison movie, and I don't remember. It's set maybe in the 30s or 40s, the, the first half of last century. And they spend their life in this hardened prison for hardened criminals. And there's a guy that was there for 50 years, and he had grown old. He was an old man. He was the librarian. He was well-respected and well-loved. And when he found out he was getting out after being there 50 years, he tries to kill somebody. And, And they're like, this guy's gone nuts. And they're all talking about, he's just, he's gone nuts here. And Morgan Freeman's character says, crazy? He's just institutionalized. The man's been in here 50 years, 50 years. This is all he knows. You believe what you want, he goes on. But I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes and you get so that you depend on them, that's institutionalized. Now, we think that's crazy. Do you want to be made well? you want to be healed? Do you want to get better? Like, why does Christ ask them this, right? I mean, we, we see Christ, and we talked about this a couple, two weeks ago in the miracles where he engages people in, in often what seems as, like, uncompassionate ways. But it's not. It's he's engaging them to call them to greater faith. And so that's a sermon two weeks ago. But it's not crazy. In In South Florida, our church was on a cross, like on an intersection that led to the beach, I think the beach was two miles, and then the other road went to two, a multiple different parks, it was in a part of Hollywood called Hollywood Hills, and this is Hollywood, Florida, not, uh, not the big one, and uh, it's, it, it's a city, so there's a lot of homeless around, and, and I know we have homeless here, you know, but if you're homeless in Florida, that's like you're in a resort because there's free showers all along the beaches, and there's uh, the ocean, and there's no snow. And so we'd all homeless, and we had homeless, like, that would sleep at the church under our porches, by the way. We'd have bushes and then some walkways, and they'd sleep, and we'd find evidence of this, and we'd have to ask them not to do that. Uh, we found hypodermic needles in, in our uh, bushes, beer bottles, and so. But we, you know, it's like, man, this is where the Lord has placed us. Like, like, homelessness. We can't cure homelessness, but like, can we help a couple people? And so we'd go to restaurants. You could walk to restaurants, multiple of them. And if I see a homeless person, I'd, I'd buy him lunch at Taco Bell or whatever, a couple bucks, talk to them. We'd see him at the church and I'd see him at a park. And I finally said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to engage this guy. So I sat down with him and I said, he knew me at this point. And I said, you know, can I ask you how, you know, what circumstances are there in your life that ended you up on the street. And apparently, I don't know, he lived in Tennessee, he lost his job, or he he actually ran like a, maybe a tiling business or something in construction, I don't know, and, and somehow he ended up down there. And I said, well, like, what do you want to do? And he starts telling me his hopes and his dreams. And I said, well, do you have any family? He says, actually, I have a mom in Tennessee, and he had five brothers or sisters, siblings, in Tennessee. And he said his mom said he could come and live with her. This guy's in his 30s. So I said, well, that's easy. Let's go back to the church. I'll call, I'll help you track them down, and I will get you back to Tennessee, and you can live those dreams you just told me about. He wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. I'm not not ready for that. So I kind of, well, you know, do you have, is it because the relationships are fractured? Is there a way I can help you? I'm telling you, I will drive you up there. I will put you on a plane. I will get you there. Didn't want it. Another guy had lived under a bridge for eight years, and one of our deacons would, would, would go and minister to homeless people, and he started bringing this guy to church. And, and this guy, I mean, like, you'd see him out, and he didn't necessarily look like a homeless person. He dressed okay, and you just wouldn't, and he was intelligent. And it turned out he had no drug or alcohol issues, and he wasn't mentally ill that we could tell, because so much of the homelessness, you know, is like that. And the guy started coming to the new members class, like a Discovering Meadowview. And so the session talked about it, and we said, well, you know, we're going to have to practice what we preach here. If, if, if this person joins the body of Christ becomes a member here. We can't have a member living on the street while we all live in houses. And the Bible, speaks like <laughs> we share, you know. So let's see if we can help this guy. He became a member, homeless guy. Somebody would pick him up from the bridge he was living at, take him to church. Sometimes he'd walk. And so we got him into a halfway house. Even though he didn't have a drug or alcohol problem, the program was willing to take him. And we assigned people to work with him and help him. We gave him small things to do. Get a an ID, get a bus pass, gave him the money for it, start looking for jobs. And after four months, and we were working with him for four, he did nothing. And he went back and lived on our bridge, institutionalized. It's sad. And it's easy to see in problems like addiction or homelessness where people don't want to change their circumstances, but what about us? What, like, what are we living in in our lives that we have just decided is a part of our life, and it's easier to not change that? There was a study done I've quoted before that said, you know, in a live-or-die situations where people have to make a decision to live or die, they choose to risk death. Stop smoking or die. Stop drinking or die. Get this medical treatment or die. They don't want change of circumstances. Is it an issue about hope? Disappointment? Depression? In physics, there's a... uh, Newton's first law is a law about inertia. Do you know what inertia is? An object at rest will stay at rest. An object in motion will stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. And so we apply this to human beings. It's easier to keep doing what we're doing than to change course. The man is hopeless, maybe depressed, probably depressed. Doesn't answer Jesus' question on whether he wants to be made well. He answers very pitiably, really. But of course, Christ doesn't wait for his right answer, and he doesn't wait for us to act... He just speaks the words of healing. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. I'm having your bulletin, the word arise, because the word for get up is, is rise, arise. Take up your bed and walk, and the man is healed instantly by the word of, of Christ's power. I mean, the man doesn't know. He's got the creator of the universe standing before him, the one person that actually can make him well. doesn't know. And Jesus doesn't wait for him to figure it out. Makes the man walk. Now that word translated arise or get up or rise is also the word for wake up. So think about like when you, in the morning, it's a school morning and you're trying to get your kids and they're sleeping in the bed and you just open the door and you, you yell, get up. I mean, they got to wake up before they can get up, right? I mean, it's like, but that's like, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, wake up. Snap out of it. Rise. And walk. John's gospel had already said the light shines in the darkness and then calls Jesus Christ the light of the world. And this light of the world is shining on this man. Wake him up help them stand up. Scripture says that when we're called, Romans 6.4, we were buried therefore with him, that's Christ, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So do you see the spiritual connection? Christ tells the man to rise and walk. And Romans 6.4 says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the God the Father, we too might imply raise with Him and walk in newness of life. Do you see what Christ is trying to show in this miracle? Colossians 3.1, if since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Christ calls us to rise and walk in newness of life, and he does this through a miracle. By the way, do you notice there's no real change in the man, his mentality? He changes physically, but he doesn't change mentally. He doesn't change spiritually. Because, remember, Jesus asks him a question, and he just kind of deflected and diverted and didn't, want responsibility, and now the, the Jewish leaders ask him that question. You were healed. You're, you're walking around doing work on the Sabbath. Again, we'll talk about that next week. Why? You know what, you know, you know what I would hope I would say? <laughs> because I was a cripple, then I can walk. I've been healed. And I had a laying by that pool for years And now I can walk. So I took my bed, and I'm walking. What does he do? I don't know. There's some guy there. He healed me, and he said, take up your bed and walk. I think that's why Christ comes along and says, see, you are well. See. You didn't answer me when I asked if you wanted to be made whole, but look, you're whole. Sin no more. That's something worse Or nothing worse may happen to you? What is Christ doing there? Why is he suddenly bringing in this idea of sin after this healing? I'll give you three options, or could be more. I'll tell you what it is. Some say it's maybe the man was crippled because of his sin. And there's two ways to view that right like jewish, jewish people jewish thought back then if you did something bad god like punished you so maybe in you know, a later in john's gospel we'll see like there's a man blind and the disciples will say well by whose sin was he made blind his or his parents in other words god is punishing bringing physical ailment on a person because of their sin there's also in, in that same sort of category that the sin is related to the there are consequences in life to our actions So, if you drive drunk and kill somebody and get thrown in prison, that's a lot of consequence. You're sitting in prison because of your sin, right? Or if you drive drunk, you could end up paralyzed. Consequences for your sinful actions. So consequences can happen, but we don't know that, and I don't see that that's what's going on in the text. So when commentators might go there, there's no justification to assume that this man is crippled because of his sin. Another way to look at it, so the second way to look at it, is that Jesus did this act of grace to this man, and so now he's telling the man to do something for him. Duty. I did this for you, now you do this for me. Quid pro quo. Now to be sure, we have a duty. And if God loves us so much, how could we not then do for him? But that's not how relationship really works. If, if your spouse is only doing for you because you've done for them, there's something missing in the relationship, right? So yes, we we do, we obey because we have duty to, but the motivation the Bible says is we obey because of love. So I don't, I don't think that's the reason for it either. The reason I'm going to submit to you is that when Christ does physical healings, they I want to say always, but I'll say generally, usually, point to a greater spiritual reality. He uses the healing as an object lesson, as a parable, as a metaphor for what the person really needs. So what do I mean? Well, why does Jesus do miracles at all? Why does he do them at all? First and foremost, for his own glory. Primarily, for his own glory. When Lazarus is crippled, he tells the disciples, This has happened so that my glory would be shown. But secondarily, three things Jesus does miracles because he cares and he can. He does miracles because he cares and he can. Mark 1.40, a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, if you're willing, if you, if you want, can you make me clean? The response is in the text, moved with pity. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will. I want to. Be clean. And so to be sure, when Christ does miracles... It's because he has compassion for who he's doing the miracle for. He takes compassion on people. The second reason he does miracles is to point to who he is. John 20. Now, Jesus did many other miracles, many other signs, and these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And isn't that, by the way, what he wants to give this man? He doesn't want the man to just stand up. He tells him, walk have life. And so Jesus' miracles validate who he is. So he does them because he cares and he can, and and he does them because it points to who he is. But the third reason is because it points to a greater lesson. There's a lesson in the miracle. That's what I said before. And so Mark 8, Jesus looks at the disciples and looks at the people, and he says, don't you have eyes to see and ears to hear." Now, he's talking to people that have eyes and ears. So he's not talking about a physical thing, is he? And yet, right in that section of Mark, same chapter, he heals a blind person and he heals a deaf person. In other words, he's saying, I'm the one who gives sight and hearing. So he's using the miracle to point to the greater spiritual reality. And so when you see a healing in the Bible, ask, what's the spiritual reality behind that? So blindness. There's a lot of blind people that are healed, right? And by the way, when Messiah would come, Isaiah 35, and the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf will stopped and the lame will leap like a deer. And here you have a lame man getting up. But what are eyes, what's the significance of eyes? Spiritually. Comprehension understanding, right? It's the difference between a sign and a miracle. What did we say those were? So a miracle is just, poof, something happened. When you call it a sign, now all miracles are signs, but when you call it a sign like John does, it signifies something. It points to something. And so seeing, they aren't seeing. They're not understanding. They're not comprehending. What about hearing? when you tell your kid, why don't you listen to me? What do you mean? Their eardrums aren't working? They're not doing what you ask them to do. They're not heeding the words, right? So sight is comprehension and understanding. Hearing is heeding or doing the words. What is a hard heart? The gospel says we get new hearts made alive by Christ, not stone hearts. Our stone hearts are removed and we get new hearts. What what is the heart signifying? Our wills, our desire, our love. Can you change what you want? Can you make yourself want something you don't want? Can you love somebody you don't love? We need a new heart. Spiritual things. Okay. We did eyes, we did ears, we did hearts. Paralysis. A person who can't walk, a person who can't get up, a person who can't get into the pool. What's the spiritual reality that Christ is trying to tell us? That's us. We are completely unable, spiritually, to get up and walk. We don't need just a little help. We need the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to shine on us, to tell us, wake up. We'd be born again. And so when Christ says, arise, take up your bed, and walk, and then he says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you relates back to the walk. We are told to walk in newness of life. To walk by faith, not by sight. To walk not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. The Christian life is a walking life. And the analogy of walking in the Bible is, is you living your life. There's progress. You're moving. That's why I said this, this section addresses the two errors. I mean, there's lots of errors in Christianity, but two errors. One That as people, as humanity, we just need a little hand. If someone would just give us a hand up. And this text says, no, no, you're paralyzed. Other places say we're dead. We need something to be done to us. But the second one is that when we're a Christian, we're just left to our sin, we're left to our faults, we're left to our failures, and we have nothing to expect in this life One day, we'll be made really whole again. Well. But right now, these sins, this pattern of life, this stuff I'm stuck in, doesn't really matter. Can't do anything about it anyway. That is not the Christian life. That is why I've said I am not a fan of wimpy Christianity. Not. The Bible tells us to get up, to walk in newness of life. That the power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that lives inside of us. There is a way to do this legalistically, and that is, that is damning. Legalism is damning. But that is not what Paul is ta- or John is talking about here. Romans 8.13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And what he means there is trying to obey the law. See, we think flesh often is is, is is like sexual sins, and it is, but like when Paul is using it, he's saying, trying to please God in your flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Here he says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The guy thinks 38 years by a pool and not getting healing and not getting is bad. Eternity in hell. It's far worse. I've met a lot of Christians that I want to ask, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be well? You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. I understand we have to be careful. And I understand that depression is, a, is it's in its own category. So I'm not saying ever make people feel bad or shame. But we call people to live their new life in Christ. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing that you may have Zoe, life in his name. That's present tense now. It's what he's calling us to. It's what he's calling this man to. And like I said, I've I met Christians that don't, I really don't think they want things to get better in their life. They don't want things to change. I'm not even talking like physical things. I'm just talking spiritually, spiritual, like, like sin in their life. They're so defeated by like fallen desires or impulses they have or how they, whatever it is, how they respond to people. And, and it's just like, this is just how I am. God made me this way. He's going to fix it one day. I don't have to worry about it now. And I told one person who had that mentality, I said, I'm... Do, you wanna... do you want it to go away? Do you want to act right? Like, it doesn't seem to me like you want to lose it. Like that's become your identity, and, and, and it's like you lose it. You say with Paul, for I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1. Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for or do his good pleasure. So as we walk in the, work in the Spirit, it's God working in us. That's not legalism. We are new creations in Jesus Christ. Sin no more, Christ says. Why would he tell the man that if he couldn't do it? We're never going to do it perfectly in this life, but we have the power of the Spirit. Peter says, 2 Peter 1, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Hebrews says if if we go on sinning after we've been enlightened to the gospel, we're going to face eternity in hell. That's not lose your salvation. That's make your calling and election sure. Are you really a Christian? I think sometimes Christians think behavior management is the answer because we're always going to, you know, even our confession says imperfection in this life will still exist, speaking about sin. We we are not holiness preachers in that we think we can be perfect. We know we can't. But the call is to walk in newness of life. And I think Christians think, a lot of Christians, that because we are afraid of, like, heaping shame on people, we don't have to ask them to mortify their sins. And just when sins come up, you just sort of repent of them. It's like trimming weeds. You know what I mean by trimming weeds? What happens when you trim weeds? They just come right back up. And sometimes we're happy. Well, this time it took two months to show up again. But weeds grow back stronger and with extra shoots. So when you cut them with your lawnmower, you clip them. you got to pull them up from the root. That's how you get a weed. And our sin is not good enough to just manage our behavior. There's a heart issue. And Christ is come to change our hearts. And he is changing our hearts. And so when we, when we sin, we ask, what is going on in my heart? That, because the sin is just the symptom. Do you get it? When you sin, it's just a symptom of a heart issue, of an idolatry issue, of a heart issue, and we want to get to that. And how do we get there? We look to Christ. We do. We absolutely look to Christ. We remember how holy God is and that he gave his son for us Knowing our sin, knowing the sins you're committing right now, knowing the sins you're committing as a Christian, God still sent His Son for you. But He didn't do it just to leave you where you are. You've heard me say before, there are some people that say, I wouldn't want to serve a God that wants to change me. God loves me how I am. I wouldn't serve a God who doesn't want to change me. I'm a mess. What kind of that's not a powerful God. It's not a powerful God. The promise is I'm going to be glorified one day. And on path to that, I'm being sanctified, transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And I love it as painful as it is. Be made into the image of Christ. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Paul says in Philippians, when he explains this, when he talks about, he wants to know Christ and know the power of His resurrection, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained this. See, Paul is not trying to say, look at me, I'm perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Isn't that a beautiful verse. What helps you take the next step? You're adopted child of God. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own, brothers. I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do: forgetting what is behind. We don't wallow in that sin. We have no shame. There is no condemnation. I lost my place. <laughs> And straining for what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. We seek the Lord. We press on, forgetting what is behind. We strive for what is ahead. We, you know, Hebrews says, uh, "...for the joy set before Him, Christ endured the cross." Therefore, we look to the, Him, we follow His path. One day we'll be glorified with Him. So as I wrap up, I think these three quotes of Christ are really a good help and remedy And its Scripture. Preach these three, these three things to yourselves when you're, you're struggling in these things. When, when you're resigned to how your life is, when you're not sure if you should have hope, do you want to be made well? Arise, take up your bed and walk, and sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, this text is a warning to you that there is eternal punishment. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says... Don't fear those who can kill body but not destroy your soul. Fear him who can take your your physical life but also destroy your soul in hell. But then he says, oh, but for his children, he has preparing a place for them in heaven. In his father's house, they have many rooms and he's preparing a place. He's going to bring us to him. And then we're coming back with him to live in perfection for all eternity. That's if you're in Christ. But if you're in Christ, don't settle for a wallowing life. He want you to have Zoe life now and forever.